0: Most of us arrive at spiritual practice because we feel that there's something missing. Something isn't quite right. That uh, despite all of our attempts, despite uh, um, maybe outward appearances, something's missing. Something is lacking. And you can read any number of spiritual texts that will say, Oh, no, no, you're perfect. Everything's just fine. You know, the universe provides. Uh, you just have to be awakened to the present moment. And this doesn't always resonate, especially as we begin our spiritual, our spiritual work. Something's oftentimes amiss. And yet, in this time, generosity, this very generous season, I would propose that you probably have everything you need, that everything we need to awaken is right here. Now, it's really easy to confuse this with everything we want which is generally speaking never here you know every once in a while we have those fleeting moments where it's like yes touchdown i win you know but for the most part that's rare and there's this real natural human tendency for us to pursue things by looking to other people to provide us with what we think we need or what we want. So just think about this impulse that you may have. What do you want from other people? This is a great spiritual question to ask yourself because it points us in a really, really interesting direction. What do you want from other people? Do you want love from other people? Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be respected? Do you want to be admired? Do you want to be valued? Do you just want to be held? What is it? What do you want from other people? Because I would propose I'm just going to go through a series of proposals tonight, okay? What I would propose is that if you want anything from somebody else, you are cemented on the road of suffering. Because they cannot hope to give it to you. You cannot hope to have them give it to you. There's no way others can satisfy us. We are. Forever suffering if we're looking to others to give us what we want. Now, there's a real interesting tendency, especially if we're just starting out on a spiritual path. It's a very interesting tendency at this point to say, okay, well, it's, it's all up to me. And on the one hand, yeah, it is. You're the one that has to do the work. You have you know, guys like me telling, pointing you in the right direction, hopefully you know, telling you to go here, go here, don't do that, try this, you know, uh, try meditating more, you know, whatever it is we can point you in the direction but you actually have to do the work you have you have to do if you will the heavy lifting this is very natural but it can also blind us to the fact that there is not only nothing that anyone else can give us that will bring satisfaction that will end suffering But we also start recognizing as our practice begins to deepen, as we begin to take this a little bit more and more seriously, that actually the more we give respect, the more we give love, the more we give recognition, admiration, the more we freely hold another, the less suffering there is. And that can only happen. That type of generosity can only happen if you recognize that you don't lack anything. All you have to do is give yourself over totally to this present moment. That's it. That's it. It's simple. Not easy, but simple you give yourself over to the present moment. This spaciousness in the present moment takes us beyond preference. It takes us beyond attachment. It takes us beyond what our mind is continually clinging to, what our bodies long for and desire. It takes us past that we go into this open field, a seamless monument to what is real and eternal in each and every single one of us. so what I will encourage I'm not going to propose this time I'm just going to encourage it what I would encourage is as you sit tonight open yourself open yourself to what is let the entire universe universe one song resonate through you just be there be here Fully. Whatever is ailing you, whatever is eating at you, whatever is holding you, whatever is, has hooked you, is binding you, be right there with it, with your full attention. Don't indulge it, don't avoid it, just meet it fully. Be that fearless. Be that generous what you will find might surprise you of course it may just reconfirm all your deepest fears and I hope that won't happen but you know if it does we can talk about it later but uh, this is a kind of a time honored uh, methodology of actually working our way past what binds us what holds us what generates our suffering, what cements us into place, what ossifies this experience called life, called reality. So as you're sitting tonight, be all here. No matter what, just be all here. City, in the East Village, was a starving artiste back in the late 80s, Uh, and I would walk down 2nd Ave, I'd go across uh, St. Mark's Place from the Astor Place uh, uh, subway stop is where I'd get out and go down uh, Astor Place, and it's kind of like a very compact Telegraph Avenue, and uh, the, the color and the life and the edge to all of it was really, really intense. And uh, I would always pass this one guy who is homeless and uh, I mean homelessness in any capacity has to be brutal. But for those of you who've experienced New York City winters, when it's raining at 34 degrees, stuff like that, you know, with, with wind at 30 miles an hour, I mean, just to the bone type of cold. Uh, there was this guy who always seemed so utterly happy. And it wasn't like some displaced schizoid type of funny ha-ha, I'm out there. It was just this this real genuine sense of, of happiness. And I was always so baffled by that. How could anybody in his state be happy? And it took years to kind of uncover that. Uh, that, that was a, a deep study for me. How could anybody be happy when they didn't have, you know, a really cool home. Not just a home, but a nice one with nice stuff, you know. How can anybody be happy without a massive paycheck? It's easy. That's ancillary stuff. It's, that's extra. I'm not talking about survival. Survival is important. But to have all the extra stuff can really hook us and pull us into a very interesting direction. Now, I say this as somebody who is rather uh, enamored of his Acura. I really like my Acura. <laughs> I admit it. For really. But it really isn't mine. I'm not going to get to keep it. Ultimately, something's going to happen, you know? I'll sell it. Actually, what's, what's going to happen is the family's growing out of it. I've been told that the Acura no longer stays in the garage after about March, so because um, uh, we can't get the dog. We have to put the dog in the trunk, which is illegal. <laughs> that was cool. I said that, and th- there are several people just went, no, I'm not, no we're not putting our dog in the trunk. But. But we can, there's nothing really that we can keep. That said, spiritual work, in many respects, is a luxury. You know? We have to be able to, in real rudimentary, rudimentary way, we have to be able to make sure that the things that we perceive that we need are covered before depth can kind of explode in us and that depth that explodes actually shows us that what we need is much less than what we thought we needed does this make sense it's kind of bizarre how that, how that twists and turns us around but um, paychecks are necessary you know and sometimes that can be the most powerful spiritual work going and getting a job you know even if it's not your dream job. I'm just using this as an example. Otherwise, we tend to limit, we're limited as to how much we can be open. There, there are some really significant areas that I've touched on before, and I, I want to kind of bring us back to this area of, of, uh, of focus for our, our work here. Um, but there are things that keep us closed. There are things that, that keep us from recognizing what this guy that I used to meet on the street all the time. I mean, there was, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that this guy was resting in this space of the universe provides. It is raining. It is freezing. But, but I'm okay with it. Wow. You know, how does one develop that kind of equanimity? And he was that way in August, too when it was ninety four degrees and hundred percent humidity you, you get out of the shower and you're sweating type thing I mean he was that way too in those in those environments as well what how could this possibly be now I of course after all these years could be deluding myself he might have been on just really great medication you know that might have been the case <laughs> everybody should be taking that medication if that's. <laughs> And he also might not have been. He might have been at that place of kind of quiet realization. Just kind of, his life was like this just beautiful exhale. Who knows, didn't really matter. The fact was he was a marker for me. So what gets in our way? What keeps generosity from happening? I mean, generosity. Really, like I always kind of use that use that expression. uh, What is Buddha? Or what is enlightenment? Enlightenment is an appropriate response. How cool is that teaching? Buddha is an appropriate response, or an appropriate statement. If we're going to get you know technical about it in in Buddhist terms, the translation. It's an appropriate statement. Well what is that? What is an appropriate appropriate response? It is always one that flies freely from generosity. So generosity is really kind of at the core of what we're doing here. It's how to become more generous and there are all sorts of strategies, some very sophisticated, that we've developed uh, in relationship to ideas about generosity. In other words, I am a generous person. We create an identity around our perception of generosity. And there's nothing wrong with this except that it's limited. If you believe that you are being generous, the you is still in charge the I sense is still building a wall. If you are generous so that you can get something in return, that has absolutely nothing to do with generosity. That is an egoic manipulation for getting what you think you need or what you want or worse yet, what you desire. Now when I say worse, I mean these are levels of contraction egoic contraction. Similarly to what we talked about in the beginning, if we want stuff from other people, if we want things from other people, what we're essentially doing is going greedy, right? We're letting greed infuse things. That's the opposite. It's the opposite of generosity. Generosity is open. Generosity is about what can you give? What can you give? Not to get anything in return, but what can you give? And this is a very difficult thing for most people because most people think, well I'm at wit's end or I, I have nothing left to give. I've given all I can. Try it. Explore it. I'm not saying go home, and then just, like, give everything away, that that would probably be an extreme that, you know, your ego is running with. But what can you actually, what can you give of yourself? Sometimes it shows up in the form of a check to an organization or to a, you know, and and we do that, my wife and me, we, uh, um, rather than giving gifts, we usually give to charities in uh, the person's name and um it's always met with it, it's always very interesting to see how it's received uh sometimes it's really like, gosh you know that's really cool thank you so much other times it, you know especially like if if the kid is below the age of 16 it's like i wanted i wanted a cd you know oh something God. like that but instead it's like well yeah, but we gave to, you know, we gave to the SIVA Foundation. We were helping, you know, kids actually get uh, surgery so that they can see in developing countries. Oh. Thanks. You know. it's We probably should have just given the CD. You know. Then, of course, my wife says, no, they'll thank us later. Or, it's good karma, honey, you know. But this is a really, really interesting thing. So what gets in the way of our generosity? I'm just going to kind of rattle these off and we'll, we'll explore them real quickly. Um, again, fear. The number one thing that prevents true generosity, an open expression, an open offering, is fear. And fear always, always orients itself around loss. Whatever you fear, you actually... Are afraid it's going to take something from you, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about anxiety, which is kind of a, a non specific uh, trepidation. That's usually what anxiety is. I'm talking about fear. Fear is specific. We fear stuff like uh, losing connection with another person, with a community. We fear a loss of joy. We fear a loss of love. We feel a loss of peace. It's always about loss. Paradoxically, fear can only occur when you feel like there's not enough of something and you need to protect it. Okay? Now, there are some things it's totally appropriate to you know feel like you need you need or want to protect i mean you' I'm a dad I know what that's like you know I'm a husband I know what that's like i'm I, I live in the world you know at the same time to what extent do you want to protect do you want to protect someone or something so much that it's getting in the way of its growth or their growth. If so, you're not being generous. You've just prevented generosity from happening. So when we orient ourselves around fear or when fear works its way through us in our day-to-day generosity can't express itself fully, instead it's just it will show up as an egoic negotiation. The second thing grief. When we're bound by grief we tend to prevent generous responses. We tend to get, it doesn't, doesn't flow freely. Now what do I mean by grief? Grief is our reaction to, it's the collateral damage of fear, of loss, either perceived or real loss. Grief, grief stems from that very naturally. There's nothing wrong with grief. In fact, it's worse if you refuse to experience grief. If you refuse to experience grief, that's not being very generous. On the other hand, if you indulge your grief and let it become part of your, if you will, personality, your grief will get in the way of your ability to open and to freely give. Next jealousy. Jealousy always comes from the sense, as we discussed earlier, of I'm not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. They have, they have what I want and I don't have it that, boom, jealousy arises. Jealousy is the collateral damage of something out of reach, as I've said before something out of reach and that's really fascinating because we have to reach for something that's outside of us right but the minute we recognize that there's completion already there is no need to reach we're actually in a place where generosity can freely flow next resentment If you ever felt, please don't raise your hands, but if you ever felt (laughs) like it's not my fault, it's his fault, or it's her fault, or it's their fault, that's resentment. Really interesting to explore this because we have this common, common notion that You know, someone can make you feel a certain way. No one can make you feel a certain way. No one can make you feel anything without you giving them permission, as Eleanor Roosevelt, I believe, said. Feel guilty? You feel guilty? Deal with it. Nobody's making you feel that way. You're using that. You're cloaking, or if you will, that's a better example, better metaphor. You're using guilt as a way of decorating your mask, To make yourself feel more at home. Whatever that is. Home for you might be suffering. Guilt is a great way to keep you there. Guilt is self-created. It's self-generated. And it's also ready to be released. But you have to let go. Resentment. uh, We had a very interesting... uh, uh, discussion. I had an interesting discussion with uh, some people who were uh, were really in a. They said, "You know, I'm in an interesting space. The sangha has changed so much. It is so these. I don't recognize anybody anymore. I don't. You know, I, and I don't know how I feel. That's that's fascinating. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. What do you really want? Well, I wanted a community, and now I feel like I don't recognize everybody who's in the community. So community to you is just what's familiar? It's just the people you know? Do you pick and choose? Because if you're picking and choosing, that's the opposite of generosity. It's actually, and and what was really interesting in the discussion was that much of this was coming from a form, you know, resentment. I want to keep the Sangha small and keep it, well, that keeping it anyway, or pushing it in any particular way, is what gets in the way of generosity. Doesn't it make sense to be very generous with the Dharma? Of course. I think everybody in here would see that, but then they would actually say, but I have a preference and I would like it to be done this way. Right? And I can understand that. But what's generous? What's the most giving thing you or I or we could do in any given situation resentment resentment is a really really interesting interesting one it's where we in some respects begin to kind of hard boil our non forgiveness you know we hold on we don't trust we misappropriate blame as I've said before And then the last one, the fifth one, we've gone through uh, fear, grief, jealousy, resentment. And the last one, actually, you could, all of them could kind of fall under this, this last one. So if you want, like, a, just the, you know, spark notes or Cliff's notes here, just listen for the next 45 seconds. <laughs> it's that we have uh, uh, a real deep, Powerful connection to I, me, and mine. It defines us. The sense of I, the sense of me, the sense of this is my, that stuff. When we are in that space, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, period. And when we're in that space, we are ego bound, we are small self bound. And when we are bound by the small self, there there just isn't any space for love, as Mother Teresa says. When when we are busy judging, there is no room for love. And if there is no room for love, there is no room for generosity. Because love is the felt sense of generosity being expressed through us. There's a fair amount to chew on here. But I do think generosity, especially over the next several weeks, is something we can contemplate. If you're giving in order to get something, knock it off. (laughs) If you're giving from a place that's authentic, true, and real, you are embodying the gift of awakening how you do that becomes your art how you do that becomes an expression of what's behind the mask you begin to enact your if you will infinity throwing it out there All right, maybe I should say letting it through this body like jazz hands you know You're just letting the infinity out. That was weird. Anyway, (laughs) I just saw somebody doing it. They were on TV, and they're going, "Look, jazz hands." I went, "That's pretty cool." You know, Bob Fosse. You know, who would have known? You know, Bob Fosse throwing the universe out there. So, just try. For one week, for one week, instead of trying to figure out what you want from others, try to figure out what you want to give, just for one week, see what it feels like. Resentment is usually uh, a form of uh, resistance, it's an expression of resistance, of anger, right? And it's usually kind of, it's like a quiet anger, right? If you direct that inward, you direct anger inward, you get guilt. It's a quiet self-loathing. I guess that's the best way I could draw the connection. Does that help? We'll think about it or I'll just <laughs> jazz hands jazz hands get rid of it shock your money <laughs> you know the most bizarre things that I say are stick for some silly reason I know one of you is going to say jazz hands you know you're going to see me at Safeway or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's the universe doing uh-huh <laughs> um would you say that um, being judgmental for everything and everyone around you as mm-hmm. yes, I sometimes am mm-hmm. um, you're not alone yeah the small self me, mine, I where else would it come from? Oh, I don't know, that's my yeah <laughs> it can only come from there fear can only come from there grief, jealousy resentment can only come from I, me, mine and that eye sense, if we follow that eye sense to its core, and this is kind of tricky, this is why meditation is so important in this work. If you don't meditate, uncovering this is really, really difficult. Meditation, in other words, is the shortcut to uncovering this eye sense, this core of the eye sense. What's at the core of the eye sense? Nothing. But you have to, you have to walk that path when you see that there's nothing at the core of the eye you realize my gosh all that stuff so trivial so silly so stupid, what a waste of energy you know, what was I doing all those years that, you know, and in that moment it actually becomes quite funny there's a certain comedy comedic element to our opening we realize that we have gone down, 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 deeper, 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 deeper. And suddenly, as much as it feels like when we go deeper and deeper, things get darker and darker and darker, we suddenly start realizing that the view is actually much more expansive and full of light and clarity. Or if you want to switch that around, it's like the higher up the ladder we climb, you know, the more beautiful, the more beautiful it is. But we let go of it, too. And pretty soon, We realize that there are no more rungs, there's no more ladder. There just is this awareness. And everything arises within that awareness. And there is so much space there. We're not bound or caught, diminished. We no longer misappropriate anything, blame or resentment, jealousy, grief. Fear, all that stuff just kind of falls away. Why? Because the eye sense is seen for what it is, a great myth. But do not take my word for that. Study that myth. Anyone else? share something with you this was kind of funny Um, I had somebody approach me this last week after the uh, after the sangha meeting and they said gosh I just got to apologize for the simplicity of my question I must have looked really stupid I'm like are you kidding that question is so important it is so critical To have that kind of freshness coming out well I just I just feel like I I don't really know what I'm doing and I get about like you know a third of what you're saying um, and so I just didn't want to sound stupid the generosity of his asking I think helped immeasurably for lots of people do not let your ego get in the way of this work by being afraid by having fear. In this case, it would be a loss of face. So is anybody not afraid to lose face? <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ryan. Sure. No so, face lost. So uh, you kind of mentioned this in your book a little bit, too, about uh-huh. generosity and being generous from the, from, from the right place. A lot of people are generous, um, you know, They'll say, "I'm going to be of service, or I'm going to be generous to this person, so I can feel better." Mm-hmm. So, how do you be generous without coming from that that point of doing it to make yourself feel better? Have you ever, um, you ever played dodgeball? Okay, you ever had one like coming right at your head, right? Mm-hmm. What did you do? Got out of the way. That's generosity. Did you have to think about it? Yeah, for a second, but yeah. No, no, no. Did you have to think about moving? No, Mm-mm. No, generosity really comes from a place that's not about calculation. You ever, uh, well, I use this example in the book. It's, you ever been next to somebody who's stumbling? You reach out to help them, mm-hmm. right? Did you think about it? You just did it, right? That's generosity. Because it's not coming from, you're not evaluating the person. I don't like their belt right you know what I mean you don't you don't care it it, you're right there and that can only happen if you are aware of if you will your surroundings whether it's the the dodgeball flying at your face or it's somebody who's who's stumbling it's, and it's different. It's different. I mean, maybe those are bad examples on the one hand because it's 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 different than instinct, but it's not. It's a subtle difference. It's a very fine line. I would argue that we are compassionate beings that learn selfish impulses. It doesn't mean selfishness doesn't exist. It's just it kind of it kind of uh, it kind of grows balancing those two things creates an integrated individual. You know, we are not born blissful radiant angels, you know, that well actually we are, but but it's like we, we, we don't stay that way. It's very natural for the species to, you know, want to get aggressive, hunt and kill. That's totally natural. It is also totally natural to give selflessly. Right? Working those two things together so that neither one actually begins to define a self, allows for something really beautiful to grow, something very powerful, but not forceful. It's beyond that. It's it's just quite beautiful. So allowing that generosity to just kind of freely flow means we essentially get out of our way. We let the mind. We, we go past the mind, so that the mind no longer gets in our way of something that we might want. Yeah? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah? Um, what about generosity? Just you're doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. Do you really? Yes. Okay. Go no, for it. No, just, <laughs> why does it is it your, your conscience speaking? Is it just, am I looking for something because it I'm might, not looking to get anything out of it? It's just I'm I'm aware. It's just I know it's the right thing to do. Then follow that totally. Follow that totally, and what you'll find is that there's no I. There's just the awareness. And the doing comes from that awareness. That's true generosity. Maybe without getting too much in detail, where I wasn't generous (laughs) in a certain situation, felt really guilty about it. Uh Uh-huh. Then be... Said, okay, I felt really, really guilty and ashamed about it, and then decided to befriend something because I knew it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Is, that gen- is that generosity without getting anything in the way? It, it, it could be, but it sounds like there's a lot of ego there that got tweaked by it. Okay, so, so here's the sense. There, rather, here's, here's, here's what I'd like you to think about. An enlightened ego is still a lot easier to be around than an unenlightened ego. Okay? <laughs> That doesn't mean you shouldn't have followed through on the guilt. It was really cool that you're listening to the guilt. If you're feeling guilt, you need to listen to that. But if you let guilt fuel that activity, then what happens is it's almost as if there's like a vapor trail from the activity that extends into guilt, okay? And this ultimately keeps you small. It keeps you in a place where it's like, I better do that or I'll feel guilty. And guess what? That's still ego. Wanting pleasure, not pain, and guilt is pain, right? It just puts it right back on that circle, so that there's always guilt, and and that's that's the way he goes. Work. Um, this doesn't mean that the you know shifting gears means I will no longer feel guilty. It means because I mean you could do that too, and that's that's a fairly scary individual. You know, um, I will feel no guilt. I hurt you, pshaw. That does not bother me because I'm enlightened. Uh, I mean, that's really scary, right? So the cool thing for you to do is to explore your guilt. Get to the root of your guilt. And I'm telling you, it's probably going to center around some type of anger that you have about you. If you can get to that core, if you can recognize where you're angry, okay, yeah. then we can talk about how you forgive that. And if you forgive it, you truly forgive it, guilt kind of just falls away on its own. And guess what? You then act from a place of generosity perpetually. Yeah? Yes. Good luck. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It seems like we evolve as human beings into these strong ego beings as a survival technique. It's learned and it's taught to us. Mm-hmm. And so to step aside and see who we are and make that shift, that's a lot of work. And yeah. And to be aware of it at all times while you're communicating with the driver next to you. Yes. With your hand, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an enlightened bird, by the way. It's you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I think you're right. I also think that it's a lot less work to pursue this than to carry what you've been carrying for the last however many years. The real work is carrying the delusion forcing it to be real what the delusion that i'm in here and everything else is out there the delusion that there is stuff to fear that there's stuff to resent that there is stuff to get jealous about that there is stuff to grieve over that all of that is real but it's such a partial reality that it's tougher to actually stay locked there that's where suffering is exactly exactly so when you consciously then decide you know what I want to see what's out there and you actually are encouraged by a sangha and you're encouraged by a teaching and a teacher to actually keep taking those steps guess what happens the view is freaking amazing okay and what it does what it does to your life and all those that you touch becomes something quite remarkable. But here again, don't take my word for it. Is it tough? Yeah. But it's not nearly as tough as hanging on to what you think is real. And I know that very well. Put. <laughs> I hope so. As I just said it I can't remember. that that was strange. I don't really know I understand. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Folks, yes. I guess in facing more negative situations in life, so you're woken up at 1 o'clock by the upstairs neighbor, the noise doesn't quit. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if the generous thing to do in that case is to at some point approach that person in a, not with anger, not with the resentment, but that that the generous thing is not to go, oh, well, they can do what it whatever and wake me up at, at one because I'm being generous, but that generous generosity give them a chance to realize that, or to inform them maybe they didn't realize that that's uh, not the best way to live in close proximity with other people. I guess I'm looking for, here's a situation that could be very, has a lot of more negative. How do you be, generous? Where, where's the generosity in that? Yeah, well, there are two kinds of generosity. Mm -hmm. There's true generosity and false generosity. And false generosity is small. False generosity always helps an identity. It also helps us avoid. Okay? It helps us stay behind a mask. And the mask might have a lot of spirituality painted all over it, right? And so the best way for a mask that has spirituality to be painted all over it is to look at the noise that's going on upstairs and say, Oh, this doesn't bug me at all because I'm spiritual right when in fact there's nothing generous about that at all that's actually a subtle definition of greed what's truly generous putting your robe on your sweats walking upstairs ringing the doorbell and say I've got it I've got an early start tomorrow could you guys turn the music down thanks you're not going up there and say, listen, motherfucker, can you show, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, you're not going, you're not going actually, that, that might work, too, if that's what they can hear, if that's what they're going to hear. It's nothing like seeing badass Martha go upstairs and just... But, but I think your question is really beautiful. It's a, it's a very important question. I just said motherfucker, didn't I? I'm not getting a lot of sleep these days. I'm just sorry about that. The point is that, you know, just like with compassion, you know, there's small compassion, which is, I'll be nice to them. There's still so much I there, right? And then there's big compassion, which is moving out of the way when the ball comes at you. Or altruism, which is a form of compassion, which is basically moving somebody else out of the way as the dodgeball comes for their head, you know? Maybe it'll hit you, maybe it won't, but the fact is you you, you saw that somebody was going to benefit and effortlessly you went into that space. Do you understand the difference there? I can't wait to hear what happens out of this one. Yeah. It's a chance for you also to step into your light. Especially if any of you have ever been some, you know, somebody who is always confrontational, see what it's like to take A back seat. If you're somebody who avoids conflict at all costs, stand in it. And this is the way we actually begin to evolve as practitioners and so forth. We feel more of ourselves and we think less. It doesn't mean mindless. It means that it's not about a studied approach to something. It's actually we begin to get out of our way and be in the world from that timeless open space that's always already there. You go, girl. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming.